Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. Turn, please, in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and just kind of hang on there. James 1, 19 and 20. We're continuing the, the uh, series called Mag- Magnificent Marriage, and we're getting into, we're, we're already into the pragmatic, practical part of the series. We talked last time, a couple of weeks ago, about communication in general. Today we're going to talk about solving communication problems in marriage. One of the greatest difficulties marriages face is communicating past some of the unseen barriers that occur or that are built in the the kind of built-in communication problems that occur or arise when two people with vastly different backgrounds and different personalities come together in a marriage. And I don't, he probably wasn't thinking about this when he wrote these verses, but he sure could have been. James chapter 1 Verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. Well, the doctors Les and Leslie Parrott uh, wrote a great book that I use in all of my premarital counseling sessions with people called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And in this, um, they tell this story. They had just been married. They'd been married for about a week. And so Leslie says, well, what do you think? And she's standing in the middle of their tiny apartment and twirling around to display her new dress. He said, it's good. Are you ready to go? I'm starving. Good? I'm starving? That's all you can say? She didn't have to ask that question. I could read it all over her face. Is something wrong? No. Well, let's go then. Wait, I'm going to change. Why? You look fine. Five minutes later, I could hear her weeping coming from the bedroom. That's strange. I walked to the door and opened it. The light was off. Leslie was curled up on the edge of the bed crying. What happened? Nothing. Are you all right? Yes. Then why are you crying? No response. And in the silence, both of us wondered what had just happened. I was bewildered. Leslie was hurt. But why? He said, that small incident during the first week of our marriage was the prime indicator that we did not speak the same language, or so it seemed. I like what Bill Cosby said about this. Women don't want to hear what men think. Women want to hear what they think in a deeper voice. (laughs) Every marriage encounters communication problems, but they don't have to result in shouting matches or 
tearful breakdowns. With the right information and in the right spirit, those problems can be overcome. So what I want to do today is just take a look at three common communication problems in marriage and offer some simple and I hope biblical solutions. Communication problem number one is what I call system incompatibility. System incompatibility. Used to, when I would talk to couples about this, I would tell them it's like you're broadcasting on 98.3 FM and she's receiving on 91.1 FM. You're just not connecting with each other because you operate, you communicate on different frequencies. Now, however, I do it more like, more like this. It's like you're operating on an Apple Macintosh system software and she's Windows PC. And the systems are incompatible. They're trying to communicate with each other, but they don't know how. They're conflicting with each other. You can see this real early in life. Do you know how a little boy tells a little girl that he loves her? He pushes her in the mud puddle. Why? Because he likes mud. And she should too. We operate on different systems. We communicate. We have different uh, ways of seeing the world and of experiencing life. And so what happens is, is you get frustrated with, the, with each other. She's not listening. He's not listening to me. And then you, act, you, you, you become like Captain Kirk in the presence of the Klingons. Shields up. She's not listening in the first place. Why should I try? And then you have the beginnings of real problems. Because all these assumptions go on in your head about what this person, my spouse, is really thinking. And what she or he may want. 97% of people who rate their communication with their partner as excellent say that they are happily married. As opposed to only 56% who rate their communication as poor are happily married. So one of the most important things that you can do for your marriage is to communicate with the same software system or on the same frequency or as uh, the doctor's parrots say, learn how to talk so that your mate will listen and how to listen so that your mate will talk. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's not that simple. Where does the system incompatibility come from? We have to figure out first where does it come from? How come she's operating on one frequency and I'm operating on another? Why does that happen? Well, here are a couple of sources of communication conflict. Personality plays a big part in this. Let's say that you are a sunny, outgoing girl who grew up on Calif in the California beaches and you've never met a stranger and you just have a sunny and open and bright personality and you married a guy from Seattle where it rains all the time and he's an introvert and he's very close and quiet and he doesn't communicate and he doesn't make friends easily. You've automatically got some incompatibility. Now, why the two of you would end up together, I don't know. But you've already got some incompatibility there to struggle with. Or, let's say that you are a multitasking type A personality that likes to get a lot of things done and you can handle challenges. You like people to throw challenges at you from, from all different directions. But your wife is more of a methodical planning kind of person who likes to take things one, two, three, four in a row and I don't want too much stimuli coming in. You've got a built-in system incompatibility problem that you're gonna have to overcome. The thrill of romance 
kept those differences about 20 feet below the waterline before you got married. But then after you get married, that stuff bubbles up to the top and you have to deal with it or else it's going to damage your marriage. Couples with that much distance in their personalities and their social backgrounds have communication problems, but don't worry about it. You can overcome them. Another source of, um, of communication incompatibility is family of origin communication styles. Family of origin communication styles. That just means you grew up with your family, the husband grew up with his family communicating one way, and the wife grew up with her family communicating a different way, and the two styles are not compatible. Let's say that you grew up in a family where there was a lot of kidding, a lot of joking around. You grew up with Norman, for instance. You learned to make light of everything. It was just the way that your family handled problems. You know, humor was how you handled difficult situations. And somehow or other, over the years, your mom and dad figured out how not to take themselves too seriously. And they just joked their way through problems. But your husband's family was different. Your husband's family, when, when they ran into a problem, everybody slowed down. Everybody got really quiet and really respectful of one another. And then they just took the problem apart, piece by piece. Just, we're going to look at this part and this part and this part. And they solved it like a puzzle, kind of like forensics. Okay? So, here's what happened. You grew up in the joking family, he grew up in the, in the forensic family, and the two of you come to a problem. What's your reaction going to be? You're going to start telling jokes. What's his reaction going to be? He's going to slow way down and say, now wait a minute, we need to look at where this, we've got to dig down to the DNA of this problem and work all the way through it. And you're going to keep cracking jokes, and he's going to, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get incensed and say, why aren't you taking this seriously? And she's going to go, why do you have to take everything like CSI? You've got system incompatibility that you've got to figure out how to work through and work past. So what do you do? What's the, what's the fix for that? Well, you can't just go to the Apple website and download an app for this. They don't make an app for this. Um, what you have to do is you have to sit down before you are in a conflict. So really early in your marriage, or if you've been married a long time, wait until you're not in a conflict. And sit down together and look back at your histories and talk to each other about how your family solved problems, how your family communicated. You know, in my family, when, and I'm not saying we have to do it this way, but in my family, when we were trying to solve a problem, this is how mom and dad did it. How was it in your family? Oh, oh, okay. All right, then the two of us need to come together and we need to figure out a new way to approach this. Identify each other's personality traits. You know, honey, I've noticed that when you feel stressed, this is what I see. Am I right? I mean, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, you know, are, is, are these the things that you're feeling? Yeah, A, B, C, D. And these, because this is kind of what I've noticed, like when you're stressed out on your job. Is that right? Yeah. What can I do to help you in those moments? 
What do you need to hear from me so that I can help you get through those moments? And vice versa. So you sit down and you recognize the differences and then you talk through, okay, you be very conscious and very intentional about it. This is how we're going to solve issues in our family. This is how we're going to communicate when communicate become, communication becomes difficult. And you work through it. And the earlier you do this in your marriage, the better off you are. Communication problem number two. Communication problem number two. We speak different love languages. We speak different love languages. Now please turn to 1 Corinthians 9. Verses 19 through 23. Now I recognize that Paul is saying this in the context of evangelism. But if it is important enough to do this in the context of reaching others for the kingdom of God, surely it applies in our marriages. Though I am free I belong and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Stop right there. What does a slave do? What does a servant do? When, you, when was the last time you went to the restaurant and you had a really, really good waiter or waitress? What do they do? They're listening and they are watching you from a distance. They're adapting themselves to your needs. They're saying, oh, he just ran out of ketchup. Take him some more ketchup. Oh, he's almost out of water. Go fill his water glass. Oh, gee, I forgot the silverware. Take them the silver. The, a servant is adapting him or herself to your particular needs at that particular time. So that's a big part of it. And you're saying, okay, what do I need to do here? To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. I'm, I'm not like my wife at all. And she's not like me at all, even though we've been married almost 30 years. We're very, very different personality types, but we've learned to adapt each other to our different personality types. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Let me back up. He's, you see where he said, I, although I'm free, I'm not a slave to any man. What happens in a lot of marriages is people say, I'm free. I don't have to adapt myself. But if you love someone, you adapt yourself to them and learn to speak their language. I'm free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now Paul says, I'm doing that for the sake of the gospel. Surely you can do this for the sake of your marriage. And one of the things that we need to learn is, are the different love languages that our mate speaks. I'm getting this directly from Gary Chapman. How many of you have heard of Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages? If you haven't, and you ever intend to be married, get that book and read that book. It's that good. It's a New York Times bestseller for a really great reason. Every married person has a love language, and Gary outlines five love, love languages, and I'm just going to give you the highlights, and I really encourage you to get the book and read the book. The first love language is touch, not sex. 
touch. The human body has millions of uh, receptors in it that transmit the signals when one human being touches another human being. There's all kinds of communication that happens when we touch one another. But some people, for some people, their love language is touch. It's the primary way that they receive love. You can tell your mate that you love him all day long, but unless you put your hand on his head and stroke his hair a little bit, or unless you hold his hand or put, put your arm around his shoulder, he won't be able to hear you saying, I love you. He can't hear it. It's not his language. It doesn't fill up what Gary calls his love tank when you do that, unless you put your arm around him. The second uh, love language is verbal expressions of love. Other people don't need touch as much. They're just not touchy-feely types. In fact, you can caress their heads, you can hold their hands, you can hug them as they leave for work. But if you don't stop and say, look them in the eye and say, I love you, I appreciate you, I appreciate how you live in our family, I appreciate the things that you do for me. I'm so appreciative of the kind of mom you are to our children and things like that. If you don't give them the words of affirmation, but you put your arm around them, they can't hear that. They don't speak that language. It's not what fills their love tank. Third is gift giving. For some people, you really can say it with flowers, but diamonds are better. <laughs> it's gift giving. Now, yours may be gift-receiving, but theirs is, you know, they need to have gifts. Gifts are what say, I love you. One of mine is gift-giving. I, I told my kids when they were growing up, they said, Dad, how did you and Mom meet? How did you fall in love? I said, she hit me in the head with a brick. And that's not quite literally true. Krista is, is always making um, little artsy things. And she kind of, she, if you have an artist in your family, you'll know that they work with various mediums and they'll work with a particular medium until they're tired of it and then they go do something else. And at that point in her life, she was painting on little tiles, little bricks, little pieces of brick. And she painted this uh, verse from the book of Daniel on there and even painted like a, a helmet, you know, with the feather thing on top and it's really cool looking and it had a verse from Daniel that spoke right to my heart and I was done I was going to marry her after that she didn't know it it took me about two years but I was done because she spoke my love language I don't even know if she knew she was speaking my love language but she did some people have gift giving and that's their primary love language and it fills it fills their tank for some people um it's, the, uh, it's acts of service. You can give this person gifts all day long, but if you forget to pick up the milk on the way home, or if you never clean out our car for her, or if you never fix the doorknob, especially if she's locked in the bathroom and it falls off, you're not speaking her love language. I've done that before. Um, so it's just simple acts of service. And it's really inexpensive. <laughs> it's not as expensive as gift giving. 
The fifth one is spending time together. For some people, the only way that they feel loved is if you will set aside uninterrupted blocks of time and just spend it with them. Gifts won't do it. An arm around the shoulder and a pat on the back won't do it. Fancy dinners, expensive gifts won't do it. But taking her by the hand, going for a long walk in the park, leaving your cell phone in the car, that says, I love you, and it fills their love tank. Here's the thing. If you don't fill that love tank, if you don't learn how to speak that language and communicate on their level, then what happens to the love tank is it runs dry. It gets empty. And then people start getting impatient and resentful and hurt. And then you have more problems than simple communication problems. So your love language is probably different from your mate's. If you're giving gifts when she needs time, her love tank's going to run dry. If, um, if you're putting an arm around his shoulder when he really needs uh, his socks cleaned <laughs> or, something, or his shirt's ironed or something like that, you're not filling his love tank. I love what Rita Rudner said um, about men learning to speak women's love language. I think men who have a pierced ear are better prepared for marriage because they've experienced pain and they've bought jewelry. So what's the fix? Take a vacation or at least a walk and talk about the times in your life when you felt most loved and most appreciated. You know when those times are. I'll guarantee you there are some times all the way back in your childhood when something happened and you could probably call it up right now that you felt really special in that moment. Somehow or other you felt really special. I, I can remember one all the way from 1975. Um, I just remember thinking that the Marlboro man's big leather coat with the sheepskin coming out the end of the sleeves and on the collar, I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. And if I had one of those, I would be cool. And so uh, my dad couldn't afford leather, but he found the closest thing. And I got this nylon coat that from, you know, 50 feet away, it looked like leather. And it had the big furry stuff. On, and I, I can remember to this day feeling, wow, like, See, I've told you guys all these rotten stories about my dad. This is a good one. He got me that coat, and I thought, that was cool. Mom, you didn't buy that coat, did you? <laughs> you know, Dad got me this coat for Christmas. I remember. It was because, why? Gift giving is, or receiving is my love language. So you go out with your mate, and you talk to them and say, What's, what makes you feel like that? What do you remember from when you were 15 years old that made you feel like, and you write that down and start figuring out ways to do that. And it doesn't have to be expensive gifts. What it has to be is like things that say, I'm paying attention to the stuff that's important to you. Third communication problem. This is a little bit more serious. Uh, this is a problem when people grew up with what I could call the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> you know, maybe they grew up in a home uh, where mom or dad was a hair-splitting fuss pot and they just absorbed it. You know, that's how it is. They find fault with anything. 
Uh, or maybe they're just wired that way. They have this perfectionistic streak that finds the loose thread in a satin sheet and just pulls it, unravels the whole thing. He sits down to a beautifully prepared hot meal, and the first thing out of his mouth is, what, no cornbread? She walks up on the front porch, and he's just finished painting the handrails, and she said, you haven't done the door yet? You know, it's just people who can rain on your parade with a word. You have to really get rid of that spirit of criticism if, if that's how you're wired. You really need to repent. Because if encouragement is to relationships as synthetic oil is to a high-performance motorcycle engine, then criticism is like pouring sand in the cylinder head. It is abrasive. It rubs the shiny off of everything, and it eventually ruins the relationship. So what's the fix? What's the fix? You have to become a builder in all of your communication with your mate. You have to become a builder in all of your communication with your mate. I used to carry around in my wallet, I still have it saved in a little box, a card that Krista wrote me before we were married, so it's very old. And it says, I promise to encourage you for the rest of our lives, no matter the response. Uh, I'm not quoting it exactly, but no matter the response for the rest of our lives, I'm going to affirm and encourage you. And I thought, wow, what a gift. Because do you know how many marriages have been destroyed by criticism? One spouse to the other. And she's kept that promise to this very day. You have to become a builder in your marriage. Builders restrain the wrecking ball called the tongue. If you're still in the book of James, look in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses nine, uh, 9 through 15, I believe it is. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Bear figs? <laughs> Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. When you see the word cursing there, don't limit that to four-letter curse words. When he says cursing, what he's talking about is negative, critical, destructive, talking down speech, um, smack, talking smack about people to one another, speech that tears down and doesn't build up. If you're going to have a successful communication pattern in your marriage, you have to be a builder. You cannot talk smack to one another. You cannot criticize one another. And you need to pay attention to it. There's a proverb Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning, if he holds his tongue. One of the ways that you can do, learn to do this is just learn to be quiet. Learn to hold your tongue. No one knows that he nothing knows unless he talks too much. 
We're talking about the discipline of silence. Have you ever been around someone who's lost their voice for a long time? Or just chosen to remain silent? What happens is the rest of their senses kind of crank up, just like when somebody goes blind. Some of the wisest people you know have been the quiet people. Some of the best marriages limit criticism of each other and of each other's family. You don't have to say everything that you think about your mother-in-law or about your father-in-law or about your brothers-in-law. Just keep it to yourself. Marriages committed to good communication realize something. Good habits breed good habits. The more you practice building one another up, the easier it, it, it becomes, the easier it is to do. And what that does is it, it kind of creates a, um, a situation of prevailing winds. You know, the sun has finally come out. But for the last, what, two weeks? It rained here. Did you notice that every day that you went out that it was raining, that the winds were coming from the northeast? When the winds come from the northeast in this part of the country, it rains almost all the time. And it's cold, even in the spring and the summertime. When you're talking in, in negative and critical terms about one another, about life in general, you just create these prevailing winds that bring in the clouds and bring in the darkness and make everything soggy and wet and nasty. But when you practice positive building up speech, uh, you create prevailing winds in the other direction. And positive building up things happen. Proverbs 13, verse 3, Take heed that your tongue... Uh, this is from the... Uh, <laughs> this is an Arab proverb. Take heed that your tongue does not cut your own throat. I, like the, I saw this one on a sign. I think it was on a church sign. A closed mouth gathers no foot. Builders emphasize the positive. Look quickly in Proverbs 11, verse 11. This is one of those communication verses in Proverbs. And when you read it, sometimes you don't initially think it's about communication, but it is. Proverbs 11, verse 11. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but through the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Blessing is how you talk. Are you talking positive things? I'm not saying pie in the sky positive thinking, but are you concentrating on saying that which builds up? That which is positive? I'll conclude with this um, story that I love from... Dwight Eisenhower. You remember before Eisenhower became president, he was the supreme commander of Allied forces in Europe. And before really he became, before the Normandy, the D-Day invasion that everybody remembers, there was a, a kind of a practice invasion into North Africa and it was called Operation Torch. It was the first large amphibious invasion I think that had ever been attempted uh, by this country and it was not going well. In fact, um, very early in that assault, Erwin Rommel, the German desert fox as they called him, uh, 
ambushed us in a place called the Kasserine Pass, and over 6,000 men were lost in one day, in one battle. And Eisenhower was, was holed up out in the Mediterranean on the Rock of Gibraltar as headquarters and uh, organizing and ordering things from there. And he wrote to his wife, Mamie, these words. Optimism spreads from the top down and creates the expectation of success and the willingness to work for it. Pessimism moves even faster from the top down, creating an atmosphere of defeat that soon leads to the real thing. How do I build that? How do I build that kind of positive attitude and that positive communication pattern into my marriage? Well, believe it or not, it does not come from technique. It does not come from technique. It comes from belief. Go back, if you're in Proverbs, please, to chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 through 8. You could probably, everybody in here could probably quote this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in everything that you do, in all the paths that you take in life, in your work life, in the kitchen, in the living room, in the front yard, in the flower garden, in the garage, in everything that you do, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Here's what that does not mean. That does not mean saying, praise the Lord, every time you turn around. That's not what that means. That means having his value system, the kingdom of God. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The kingdom of God as your perspective. God's values as your values. Acknowledging his ways in your whole life. His sovereignty, His rule over your life and circumstances. It means honoring Him and His priorities and His commands. In all of your relationships, it means living in faith instead of living in fear. Which is another way of saying living with a positive attitude instead of living with a cloud hanging over your head all the time. Jesus was the greatest communicator who ever lived and He acknowledged His Father in everything that He said. This is my last verse, John 12, 49 and 50. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Probably the best thing that we can do before saying something doubtful to our spouse is to say, is this something that I would feel comfortable saying in front of God? Does it acknowledge His kingdom in our lives? Let that be the test of your communication and your marriage will be filled with blessing and filled with life. Would you pray with me, please? I want to give you some time to think and to pray and ask God, Lord, where am I building and where am I tearing down? What is my mate's love language? 
And what frequencies are we trying to communicate with each other on? Ask those questions, and I'll give you time to think about that. Now, Father, I guess probably the most obvious thing is it's really easy, easy to be selfish in a marriage and to think only of ourselves and only of our needs. So we confess that to you, our own selfishness. And we ask that you would help us to lay that down and think first of our mate. And we pray that as we go from this place today, that you would give us insight into these areas. Help us see, Father, um, how our mate hears things, how to communicate. Help us to see their love language and to start speaking it. And please draw us up short, put a bridle on our tongue when we would be critical and help us instead to build the positive into our speech. Things that acknowledge you in all of our ways. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.